Well, tonight we're going to be beginning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Now, what's important about 2 Thessalonians, it comes after 1 Thessalonians, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but 1 Thessalonians really left the church in Thessalonica kind of shaken up because this is where the unveiling of the rapture takes place. Now, a lot of people are still confused uh, about the two different events, being the second coming and the rapture. But not to cover all that ground, just enough to let you know, the rapture is about going up into the air and meeting the Lord in the air with all the saints that are gone on before us. The second coming is where Jesus comes to the earth and specifically his touch point at the beginning is at the Mount of Olives. And you get that from Acts chapter 1 and then Zechariah chapter 14. So this, th those are two different events. And so that's what, whenever we're talking about the rapture and the second coming, that's what we're describing. So here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is just trying to clear up the air because just like people today, you know, the, you'll even see debates. You know, I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Or I don't believe they were they were messed up, too. And so the Apostle Paul is just trying to clear the air up. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin in verse number one of Second Thessalonians two. So let's go ahead and get into it. it. Says now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by our gathering together unto him. Okay, that's the gathering of the church unto Jesus. Look what he says in verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So, First off, before we go any further into this end time study, don't ever allow fear to come upon you because God has given us what we need in his word. And then he confirms it with his spirit. And time and time and time again, we're, we're told that it is better to be with the Lord than to be here. And, and, you know, here we can do things like eat strawberries or we can go sit on the back porch and we can drink sweet tea or whatever. And we think that it's great here. But the Bible tells us that it's far better in heaven. And so a lot of times we assume, you know, we've got things to do. We have we want to, you know, see our grandkids or we want to see our great grandkids or we want to be, you know, whatever we want to be. But it's far better for us to be where the Lord is. And so we will soon and very soon be in his physical presence, bodily presence. And on that day, it's going to be amazing. But the Bible explains these things to us so that we're not shaken um, or troubled. Because sometimes uh, the enemy can use what we don't know against us. Uh, but what we do as Bible believers is we give the unknown to God. We don't have to know all the details. We just have to know the things that God told us and hold on to them. And then we're not going to be misled by any uh, nefarious actors such as the devil or false teachers that the devil uses. So let's continue just a little bit further. But notice before we leave verse 2, notice the, the climactical point that Paul is making. He said that don't let anybody um, trouble you thinking that the day of Christ is at hand. Now that's the day that Jesus is going to be, he's going to come back 
and he's going to be bodily glorified by the nation of Israel when they see the Messiah. This is going to be something that we're going to just wonder about for ages and ages. This is the, the people of God, the called out of the Old Testament. This is, you know, long after they've been, uh, you know, cut off because of their rejection of Messiah. This is when they return and the king, right, comes home and they turn back. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Israel turns, right, the veil of their blindness will be lifted. They'll see Jesus and they'll believe on Jesus. So this is going to be an amazing day. Not only that, but the Lord Jesus is also going to take care of the Antichrist and all of the nations that have raged war against the kingdom of God and his people. So, hey, hallelujah for that. And we're going to be getting into that uh, in just a moment. So we're going to talk about those nations raging against the people of God. But let's continue, and we're going to go down to verse number 5. So, so here we go, verse number 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, this is important. Uh Let's come back to it. Let's continue. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing that he is God. What is that? That's describing what Jesus said is the abomination of desolation, okay? The abomination of desolation is that, that uh, climactic point of the end times, the, the seven-year tribulation, however you want to describe it, the most biblical term is the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the time that God comes back for that last seven years of judgment on the house of Israel, specifically on the, the house of Jacob. Now, this uh, abomination of desolation, we're going to look at. That's going to be the launch uh, pad that we go from in, in, in the rest of this uh, Bible study. But I want to camp in verse 3 for just a moment. Now, whenever you look at end times eschatology, it's remarkable because Paul here saying, don't let anybody deceive you. And if you go back into the Olivet Discourse, that's, you know, our, our rule of thumb for, for prophecy, go back to what Jesus said. So when you look at Matthew chapter 24, which is where you find the Olivet Discourse, one of the things that you find before the Lord Jesus describes the end times to his disciples he says, don't be deceived. It, it's a hallmark that as we converge to the end times, as we converge to that moment when the Antichrist rises and then is dealt with and then Christ returns, when we come to that moment, that climax of earth's history, we're going to see an increase in deception. This increase in deception is going to be monumental to the point that, that the Holy Spirit tells us there's going to come a falling away first. Now, this falling away, um, this is not talking about somebody stumbling. This is not talking about somebody, uh, you know, maybe they somebody pulled out in front of them and they honked their horn and they lost their temper. It's not talking about that. Now, we shouldn't lose our temper. 
right? We should strive to live holy. But this is not talking about somebody stumbling or somebody, uh, you know, temporarily messing up. This falling away is apostatizing. This means that there comes a point in time that they, they believe it be more advantageous to slip back into the world and away from Jesus. Apostasy is turning your back on what you once believed. So you had to believe it in order to fall from it. If you're going to apostatize something, it's something that you hold. It's an orthodox belief that you hold and then you believe that it's more worthwhile to let it go. And so this falling away, is, is a, a, this is symptomatic of end times. There are many, many in the church world that are going to find it better for their flesh to turn away from Jesus. And what you'll see is you'll see it beginning in our prayer life. I've heard it said time and time and time again that, you know, J.C. Ryle, I believe he said it first, you know, he said, you don't, um, you don't backslide out in public first, you backslide in private first. And so that's a great word if, if you could grab hold of that. And, and just remember, you know what, the most important thing that I could do is to be as close to the shepherd as I can be. Nobody's stopping you from praying more than you pray. Nobody's stopping you from reading your word more than you do. You know, we, we stop ourselves. But if there's something in you that desires God, you need to know that God desires you. God's not willing that any should perish. And as we get closer to the deception that's going to come on the church world, the best thing we can do is get as close as we can to the shepherd. This is where we're going to see that some of the church enter into revival. That fire is going to burn brighter and hotter and more intense, and we're going to see the power of God restored to the church. We're going to see the church triumphant and persecuted as the Lord returns. He's going to come back for a pure bride. But we're also going to see many in the church fall aside, fall to the wayside. Pressure is going to get too much. Some people are going to choose, listen, country over church. Some people are going to do that. Some people are going to choose the way of the world over the way of the church. And never forget, the church is the body of Christ. So when you turn away from the church, you're turning away from the Lord. We all are part of the body of Jesus. We're all in the family of God if we're born again. And so God wants us to, to hedge against this falling away. And the way we do that is to get as close as we can to the shepherd. What I tell our church is, um, you know, you can't backslide if you're front sliding. And, and that's my, you know, East Texas way of saying, you know, get as close as you can to the shepherd. Stir up the, the gift of God within you. Fan the flames. You know, that's that what we're supposed to do is stay renewed. Stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, and notice that after the falling away comes the revealing of the man of sin. Now, that's specifically talking about the Antichrist. So we know and we can kind of infer whenever he says the man of sin, uh, we can kind of infer that that's the Antichrist. But verse number four, you know, that's the trump card. So that's how we know this is talking about the Antichrist. 
because there's only one person that commits the abomination of desolation. This one person that commits the abomination of desolation sets himself up in the tabernacle or the, the temple of God, and he declares that he is God. So, uh, and we know that that's blasphemy, okay? We know that that's blasphemy. We know that's talking about the Antichrist. And now let's look at verse 5, and then we'll move on. Verse 5, Paul said, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Why am I, why am I bringing out that verse? Why are you bringing out that verse? Because I want you to see that not only did Paul write about the end times, but when he was there in person, he preached it and he taught it. Because just like Peter said, you know, it's, it's good for us to hear the word over and over and over because sometimes we're, we're a little dull. Sometimes we haven't had a lot of sleep. Sometimes we need coffee. Sometimes we're not in a good place. But we need to hear that word over and over because just like, um, you know, it says that we're um, washing of the word. That's, that renews us. And, and it, the word of God doesn't return null or void, but it accomplishes what God sets it out to accomplish. So, you know, sometimes you may get into a place where you, you feel like you've told somebody something five times. It's kind of like, you know, telling your kid to clean their room, you know. <laughs> Haven't I told you that four times, you know. But when it comes to the word of God, don't ever think that, you know, it's, it's a bother to somebody because it's a blessing to them whether they realize it or not. And that's what Paul's kind of communicating. He's saying, you know what? I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again. And I'm going to keep telling you, not only till you get it, but so you can teach others. See, sometimes in, in American Christianity, this is one of my, one of my deals. Um, I, I can't stand it when, when somebody talks about the Word of God like a nugget. You know, they'll say, oh, that was a good nugget. You know, thanks for preaching that nugget. I like that nugget. Um, well, you know what? Nuggets are good. But we need to feast on the Word of God. We don't need just some nugget. We need the whole thing. And it's good for us to hear the Word of God over and over so that by meditation, our minds are renewed and our hearts are cleansed. You know, like the Bible says, guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's one of the most amazing things, and we neglect it. Uh, but so just remember, you may be sharing your faith with somebody at work. Maybe it's a family member. You know, maybe you're, you're about to give up hope telling somebody something. But don't ever get weary in well-doing. And whenever you're sharing your faith at work or with a family member or whoever it may be, don't ever get weary. It's the best thing for them. This is our job. Our job is to give the good news, to give the gospel, the truth to those that don't have it. And somebody that's not in the word, somebody that's not praying, look, the word of God is the truth that they need. Out in the world, we get nothing but lies. We get nothing but a cookie cutter mold that the world's trying to put us into. We're going to get in on that. But that cookie cutter mold is not for us. And the only way somebody's going to get broken out of that mold is when somebody like you or I shares that word of life with them so they can get out of that world and believe on Jesus and then be changed by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is our job. So don't be weary in well-doing. We're going to reap that harvest if you faint not. Amen. So let's continue. Uh, we're going to talk about the abomination of desolation and why it's important uh, 
and we're going to do that over in Revelation chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, just go with me to Revelation 13. And whenever you want to look at the end times, this is one of the most uh, powerful passages that you can get into. Um, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. So Revelation 13 is right after Revelation 12. And some of you are like, man, but this is the way that we teach here at Gospel Lighthouse Church. Why are we saying that? Because there's something significant that happens in Revelation 12. Revelation 12, we see this great dragon that comes up out of the sea. We see this big old dragon come up, and we see in one of the verses in Revelation 12 that the dragon is, verse, nine, verse number 9, the dragon is the devil. This is Lucifer. This is the devil. So whenever we're talking about the dragon after this verse, we're still referring to the devil because he, through the devil, that's how the, the end times just kind of comes about. So with that said, we're going to look for the abomination of desolation in this chapter. Now, Revelation chapter 13, there's an energizing of two individuals. These two individuals are what we call the Antichrist and the false prophet. And as we get closer to the rapture, as we get closer to the return of the Lord, you're going to see uh, the conditioning of the world to accept these two individuals. These two individuals will come up on the scene when the church has been raptured out. But before the church is raptured out, they're going to be conditioned. Things are going to be getting in alignment so that they can uh, come on to the scene. So let's begin... Um, Let's begin in verse number, uh, let's just start with verse one. He said, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, a lot of people will get caught up in the crowns and, you know, who, who's what. Look, we're, we're not going to focus on that here uh, because people miss it. You could miss that kingdom. You could say, oh, yeah, this is Rome. This is Persia. This is, you know, Greco-Rome. This is, you could miss that. So we don't want to, you know, try to pin that. We're just looking at what the Bible tells us, okay? Verse number two, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. This is important. What is a leopard like? A leopard's quick. So when the beast rises, it's going to be a quick coming about of events. This is kind of like how you saw the coronavirus changed everything overnight. You, you kind of heard about it in the news. You kind of heard about it. You thought, yeah, but something like what's happening in China can never happen here. And then all of a sudden, really quickly, it came upon us like a leopard. And I'm not saying the coronavirus is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it'll be a quick turn of events. It'll be a quick change that people are not prepared for. And the people that aren't right with God are going to be in for a very hard time because they're going to have to make some very tough choices in the tribulation. So let's continue in. He says that he'll be like a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power. You see that? The dragon gave him power. So this is not the devil. This is a person that the devil occupies or inhabits or gives power to. 
And let's continue in. Um, the dragon gives him power and his seat and great authority. Now, you remember whenever, uh, you know, Satan uh, was tempting Jesus and he tried to give him the kingdoms of the world? You know, look, until Jesus establishes his earthly kingdom and the millennial reign kicks off, the devil still manipulates and he still has people in high places. There's still spiritual warfare going on in the world today. If that wasn't so, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have written about spiritual warfare. And these, this spiritual warfare takes place in the heavenlies. It takes place in these places of authority and power. And, and every bit of ground that the church takes, the devil tries to take back. And so there's a continual warfare that's going to come about until the Lord binds Satan in, in, in prison for a thousand years. That's the millennial uh, part of the kingdom. Now, let's continue and go just a little bit further. So we see that he's given power, a seat, and great authority. And one of it, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now look, this wound that becomes healed, this gives him um, this gives him credence with the world. This shows the world in their estimation that the Antichrist is not a normal individual, but he's actually an, he's going to be imitating kind of what Jesus did. He's going to uh, swan. He's going to be as dead, and then he's going to imitate Jesus. This is what the devil always does. This is why inside of churches, inside of, of churches all across America, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. That's because the devil always imitates God. And, and, and when we get to the false prophet, you're going to see that even more um, in just a second. But let's, let's go just a little bit further. It says that, um, verse number four, they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Now that's three and a half years or halfway of a seven-year time period. So whenever you begin to align prophecy and kind of get things in order, you know that there's seven years of tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, that seven-year window's left. And we're told that the first 42 months of it is a, an accumulation of power to the Antichrist. So there's just this steadily influx of power, this steadily influx of authority just being given over to the Antichrist. And we know that from Daniel chapter 9, that this is kicked off when the Antichrist makes a peace covenant with the nation of Israel and the nations that surround Israel. So we're going to see through that peace agreement just people lavishing um, authority upon the Antichrist. And he's going to continue 40 and two months. Then we come to the abomination of desolation. Now, this is where you can tie together 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. So you can tie that verse to this verse. If you write in your Bible, you can write that right there and then trail it back to what Jesus talked about in the, in the Mount, uh, Mount Olive Discourse. So let's look at it. Verse number 6. 
It says he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. That's whenever he declares himself to be God and forces people to worship him. So, what's going to happen on the earth? Some, the next person that goes to Jerusalem and sits in a temple and declares themselves to be the anointed one and shows that they have miraculous powers, even were wounded in the head and lived, the next person that sits on that throne and causes, listen to this, causes worldwide peace. The next person that causes worldwide peace and sits in Jerusalem and says, all right, now that I've established peace, it's time for you to worship me, I'm God. The next person that does that, that's the Antichrist. So if you miss the rapture, that's how you know who the Antichrist is. So a lot of times people get eschatology messed up. They get end times messed up. They think when, when Jesus comes back the, the first time, he's going to come back and establish that kingdom. Well, first you have a rapture and you have an Antichrist that's going to establish himself or, or usurp over the throne in Jerusalem. And at that time, that's going to be right in the middle of a seven-year peace treaty. And when this happens, a satanic force comes upon him, a hatred gets lavished upon the Jews and all the people that refuse to worship him. Sometimes you don't know somebody's true colors until they get in authority. And at this moment, this person who's been energized by the devil, the moment that they're giving the power in Jerusalem and they declare themselves to be God, they don't think there's anything else anybody can do. Then their anti-Semitic ways come out. Anybody that's anti-Semitic is satanic. And, 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 you know, even in the church world, in church history, we have a lot of people that have grown anti-Semitic over the years, even some of the Reformation leaders. But anti-Semitism is from the devil. It, it, the Jews are God's people. Even when they have rejected him, even when they've rejected him, God desires that they turn back to him. God's not willing that any should perish. But the, the, the nation of Israel is a called out people. And, and so we have to remember this. And whenever this happens, look what happens next. So verse number seven, after the abomination of desolation, it was given unto him to make war with the saints. So after the tribulation happens, there's going to be the 144,000 Jews that get converted, that believe on Jesus as Messiah, and they're going to go out into the world. They're going to be, you know, true missionaries, and they're going to convert people, and these people are going to be saved. Well, these are going to be the targets for the Antichrist, and he's going to make war with the saints, not with the world, but with the saints. So I want you to just kind of take a step back. Now, we, we've covered a lot of ground well let's take a step back and think about this in order for the antichrist to have this much power so that he can openly target the church world openly target believing jews and openly target christians 
when he has this much authority, now we know in our world today that the church is, is rejected. You know, if you name the name of Jesus, you're going to be looked down upon. Uh, well, the biblical name of Jesus. You know, the, the uh, false religions have a quote-unquote Christ consciousness. We're not talking about a new age Christ consciousness. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? And, and he at, at being Emmanuel, God with us. This Jesus, when you talk about this Jesus, is God, very God, and that there is no other God. When you talk about Jesus in those kinds of terms, you're going to be castigated and, and, and relegated to the outcast of what's acceptable in society. And if you can't be okay with that, you're going to have a hard time following the Lord when, the more this comes into play. So what's going to happen in order for the Antichrist to receive all this power, all this authority, there's going to be a turning on the church. There's going to be a turning on the church. Those people that reject a one-world government or globalization, this is the big buzzword in many governments today. They want a globalization of the world. That's why so many people don't want borders. They want... They, they don't want borders because they want everybody to, to, to be citizens of the world. They want one world government and one nation that rules the whole world. This is nothing but the spirit of the Antichrist. This is what the Antichrist lusts for. This is specifically what the devil lusts for, this power. And, and, and so when you see people going for the, the globalization of governments, you're, you're seeing the spirit of the Antichrist rise. And, and, the, and we know that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in our world because 1 John tells us that. So we can see the, basically, we can see the writing on the wall, and the more that the world is moved into a globalist mindset, the more you're going to see the church looked down upon as a as a reject from society we're going to be the ones that stand in the way of progress so what you're seeing is a reassembling of the tower of babel so this is not necessarily a physical tower of babel but a tower of babel in the form of a governmental body you're going to see the nations of the world strive together to form this. Now, how are they going to do it? Well, a lot of people have a lot of different theories. We're not here to give theories. We're just here to talk about the Bible. A lot of people have a lot of different theories. They could do it through uh, planned starvation. They could do it through a mass vaccine. They could do it through uh, the collapse of every currency. They could do it through all kinds. They could do it through World War III. There's all kinds of ways that they could do it. And believe me, the, the enemy is plotting and planning those ways even as we speak. So whenever you see somebody talking about or looking for a utopian society outside of God, it always should ring uh, bells in our ears. Now, one of the, one of the ways, uh, just one of the things that you could look at is, you know, whenever somebody's talking about... Um, you know, if, if an atheistic person is talking about how to have a utopian society, they're not including Christians. I can guarantee you that. 
because we're the ones that reject that authority. We, uh, we do. Now, here's what's going to happen. When the Antichrist is given this power, he's going to make war with the saints of God. If you're not you know, ready for that, get your stomach ready. Take some toms, get in your prayer closet, and, and, and put on your, your war paint um, because it's coming. And if you miss the rapture, you're going to have to be prepared for that. So just be forewarned. Um, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That means that the, the power that he has is greater than the power that the church is going to have. Um, when, when this peace agreement is chartered and set into motion and all the nations of the world agree that this is the best thing, if you try to speak out against it, they're going to hunt you down. They're going to find you on Facebook. They're going to find out where you used your credit card. They're going to find you somehow, some way. But the, the Antichrist is going to make war with the church, That's left, the, the people that are left behind and then get saved. He's going to make war with them, and then he's going to overcome them. Now, here we go. And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Like I said, this is the, the second coming of the Tower of Babel. This is that second coming of the Tower of Babel where man strove to unite into one. And that's exactly what the Antichrist is doing. So you can go back and look in the book of Genesis and look what happened there at the Tower of Babel. That was at the, at the, the plains, um, the Shinar Plains. And, and there's a lot of biblical significance to the Shinar Peninsula, the Shinar Plains. There's a lot of demonology that's tied to it. And, and in the same vein, this is the same exact thing that the Antichrist is going to um, assemble and he's going to get all kindreds, tongues, and nations together. So when, when people are trying to unite those things, alarm bells should be ringing in our ears. And look what it, so, and that's that halfway point. So this is where everything changes. Now, in taking a step back and a step up, even people that reject the rapture, right? Even these people that reject the rapture and they say maybe it's a mid-trib rapture, even these people know that the second half of the seven-year tribulation is way worse than the first half. Everybody, every prophetic teacher will tell you that there's... Everything kicks up, you know, like that, that emerald, you know, let's kick things up a notch. It, it, things just get cranked up after the abomination of desolation. This is basically when the Antichrist becomes enraged. So let's look at verse number eight. It says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear. Let him hear. Now, you know, right, who that lamb is. That lamb's Jesus. And, and you see, if you belong to Jesus, you're not going to be a part of this. But if you miss that rapture, if you don't belong to Jesus, you miss that rapture, and you're here for this time period, you must not worship the Antichrist. Um, and, and, and so those that do, do not have their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there's no forgiveness for worshiping the Antichrist. There's no forgiveness for taking the mark of the beast. This is, uh, th that's a line that we can't cross. So what's going to happen next? Let's, let's skip down to verse number 11. So that was the first one. Now we're going to talk about the false prophet before we, um, before we end up. 
false prophet. It says, and I beheld another beast. So this is the second person. This is not like the first person. Beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, some of you may not have paid attention, but the first beast came out of the sea, um, and the second one comes out of the earth. Now, there's some prophetic significance to that. The sea represents the mass of humanity. Um, earth represents religion, and, and there's a lot of significance to that. Look what he says next. He saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Like a lamb. Can you believe that? How is this possible? That somebody that the devil's going to use is going to be like a lamb. This is his MO. This is his modus operandi. This is how the devil operates. He, he is the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And the false prophet is the same exact way. Look at this. So he's, he has two horns like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. Okay, so you should be going ding, ding, ding right there. Because the dragon that we, you know, because I, I took a minute just to show you Revelation 12 specifically says the dragon is the devil. So he looks like a lamb, but he talks like a dragon. That, that, that tells you right there he is a wolf or the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, let's look at what he does because his role is significant. The false prophet, his role is to get the world unified into one religious act of worshiping the Antichrist. So the false prophet, that's his job, and let's look at how that's described, and then we'll, we'll kind of brush it up. He says, and he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, it means he's persuasive speaker. He's able to get people's ear, right? And causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So that tells you right there what his job is. There's going to be a religious leader that looks good. That, that has a calming effect, a, a religious leader that's able to encourage you, a religious leader that's able to make you feel better about yourself, a religious leader that makes you deny plain things written in the Word of God, a, a religious leader that gets you to say, well, I know that's what that old dusty book says, but this is the way it, you should understand it. They explain away the Word of God. And so this religious leader, his desire, his plan is to get you or whoever misses the rapture to worship the Antichrist. And how does he do it? Verse 13, and he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, we're going to stop right there for a second, but notice what he does. He, he, his goal is to make the people of the earth worship the Antichrist. The way that he does it is to deceive people. How does he deceive people? Through miracles and great wonders 
even calling fire down from the sky. So when, when you see a religious leader that looks like a lamb tell people to worship this person, when you see that happening, he's going to be able to do miracles. There's going to be signs and wonders. That's why we're never called to follow signs and wonders. You know, if you're living biblical, signs and wonders will follow you. But you're never called to follow signs and wonders. Even Pharaoh's magicians performed miracles. Whenever uh, Moses had his staff and he threw it down and it became a serpent, uh, Pharaoh's magicians did the same exact miracle. They did the same exact thing. The only difference is that Moses' serpent ate theirs. That's the only difference. But they imitated it, and how did they do it? They were enabled or empowered by the devil. This is a devilish power. There is a real, a real spirit world, and it really does have power. But the power of God is greater. Never forget, greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. The name of Jesus Christ is the name above every name. At his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So no matter where you are, if you are in the body of Christ, baptized into his death, raised into new life, if that's you, then you have the authority in those situations. So here we go. The, the, the signs and the wonders kick off, and they are demonic. They are demonic signs and wonders. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of slow down just a little bit because I want you to see something. That, that signs and wonders are not a sign that somebody is from God. Now, some of you need to hear that. Signs and wonders are not the hallmark of a ministry. They're not. The hallmark of a ministry is when people abide by what the word says and live by it. That's the hallmark of a minister. When, when a person's beliefs and the way that they live lines up with the truth of the word of God. But signs and wonders cannot be a, a hallmark of a minister because the devil uses demonic power to do the same thing. So somebody can go out on the street and make somebody's leg grow three inches longer. They can, you know, the, the old, you know, one foot shorter than the other foot. Somebody can, can, can do that. That does not mean that they're from God. It could possibly mean that they are um, involved in witchcraft or involved in uh, satanic uh, power. So why is this important? Because the false prophet is going to look like a lamb, but speak like a dragon. Now, a lot of people say this is the Pope. A lot of people say that's the Pope because the Pope looks like a Christian. He claims to be Christian, but, you know, this, this, this. We don't know who exactly it's going to be. We don't. You can guess, you can postulate, you can theorize. Uh, but the reality is that he's not going to be revealed until the church is taken out. Okay? So once this happens... The people of the earth are going to have to realize, the, those that are left behind, 
that somebody with these miraculous signs that tells them to worship someone who is not Jesus is leading them astray. Now, I want to go back over to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 real quick. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and I know there's more about the false prophet. And we'll cover that either next week or the following one. Because we have the mark of the beast and, you know, all of that. So we, we will get to that. A lot of people are saying that, you know, the vaccine for the coronavirus is the mark of the beast or they're going to put a, a, an implant, a chip in you. And that's the mark of the beast. Well, you know, we shouldn't be here for that. <laughs> we shouldn't be here for that. Um, but whatever it is, it's going to cause you, you'll do it as an act of worship to the Antichrist. So, you know, if that helps you out, but, you know, the, the vaccine that they're talking about, you know, there, we could, we could, you know, do a whole talk about that, that thing, but it is remarkable that the person that's leading the vaccine, um, Gates, he is an atheist, an agnostic, um, and his stated goal is to depopulate the earth. And, it, you know, it kind of dawned on me. I said, well, you know, if, if his goal is, you know, one of his missions is to depopulate the earth because he thinks that there's too many people, like we're ruining the planet. Uh, if that's his stated goal, why is he so involved in creating this vaccine? He's been working, you know, you can look this up. He's been working on it, I think, since 2015, which, you know, is crazy. But if he's been working on it since 2015, and he's working on this vaccine and everybody, you know, has kind of shifted the goalpost. It, it, it used to be stay home, flatten the curve, and it's going to, you know, hopefully not, but it looks like it, it may be, you know, you, you can't resume normal life until you take the vaccine. But, it, you know, I was wondering, why is it that this guy is so committed to a vaccine if his goal is to depopulate the earth? So I looked up on YouTube and I just typed in, you know, um, you know, Gates depopulate and vaccine. And about a three minute video, he honest, he lays it out. He says the science is showing that the healthier people are, the less they have children. And so his goal is to not have children in the world. So it, it's kind of a, a devilish reasoning for the vaccine. His reason to vaccinate is so that people will stop having children and then depopulate the world. And you can see that video on YouTube. I'm not um, saying, I'm not, you know, slandering or anything like that. That's a video on YouTube. So anyways, let's, let's close. Like I said, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's go to verse, uh, we stopped at verse 5, so let's just read verse 6 and 7 and 8. We'll close right here. Praise the Lord. Hey, here we go. Verse 6, and now you know, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So there's a time coming that he's going to reign on the earth that, you know, God uh, removes something so that he can come into power. But it's not his time yet. How many of you think that if the devil had the opportunity, he would take the time right now? Now, honestly, just think about it. 
We know that the devil was out to steal, kill, and destroy. He would like nothing more than to destroy God's people. That's what, he's, that's what his mission is. So it, it, it poses a problem for some people that don't understand eschatology because if he wanted to, he would do it now. But there's something that is prohibiting the Antichrist from coming into power. There is something that is prohibiting Satan from establishing rule for those seven years. And now here we go. So we see it. So just think about it. Just give it some intellectual gumption. How is it that he is not in power right now? God is holding him back. God is holding him back because you are the salt of the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. There's going to be a time that the light of the world's taken out, that the salt is removed. When the salt is removed, decay sets in. When the light's taken out, darkness comes upon the earth. But as long as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is here, we are the salt we are the light because we are his body. He lives in us. Don't ever forget the hope of glory is Christ in you. That's awesome. This is encouraging right there. But so just remember that if, if the devil could do all that he wanted to do, he would do it. But he can't because the church is here. Because God is prohibiting it from happening because the church is here. So now... Now you know what withhold it that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Here we go. Only he who now let it will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I always love that part because that tells you right there when Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy. His holy light is going to be so bright, so beautiful that the eyes of fire, right? And the word of God coming out of his mouth. When that happens, he's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to destroy all the works that the devil had, had built up for those seven years. But look at verse seven. This is a little... Um, this is a little eschatology uh, mumbo jumbo. So let's, let's work through it just a little bit and we'll close. The mystery of iniquity does already work. Now, you know, you can go back and look in, in prophecy, the, the mystery of iniquity. That's always talking about the Antichrist and, and the devil coming into power. Um, only, so what's prohibiting? Only he who now let it will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, it, um, I never played tennis except for just, you know, recreational, but so I had to, you know, learn this. But whenever you play tennis, there's a, an old way that the word let is used in the English language. As you go back to England, go back over there, that's, you know, everybody plays tennis in England. That's where they have the grass court and all that. I think that's where Wimbledon is. I don't know. But anyways, they, they play tennis there. Well, whenever the ball hits the net, like somebody hits the ball and it hits the net, but it keeps going, the line judge hollers, let ball. What that means is that the net hindered the ball from doing what the ball was going to do. Just let ball means it's been hindered. 
And so with that understanding, you can look at this verse and see, okay, so there's the mystery of iniquity. He's going to come except the person who is hindering is hindering until he's taken out of the way. So that which is holding back the Antichrist from coming into power, the salt and the light, the church of the living God, the, 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 the peculiar people, the called out assembly of God, the brethren, when, the, when they're taken out, then the Antichrist is revealed and then the Lord returns and then the Antichrist is destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It, it may be, you know, for the, for the inhabitants of the world and for us, as we get closer to the end, we're going to see a, a convergence of trouble. We're going to see an increase in, in bad times, but the Lord's with us in it. And the darker it gets, we know that the day is coming. There may be sorrow for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And never forget that, that the battle belongs to the Lord. So I pray that this uh, message has been a blessing to you. We're going to go ahead and pray and, and close. But I do want to just uh, let you know that as you go back up and read these verses, Paul wrote these things so that you won't be troubled. Go back and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul wrote that so that we won't uh, be troubled and that we can comfort one another by the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we say, hallelujah, Jesus is coming for us. And um, just pray that you're in that number. If you're, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, um, today's the day of salvation. As long as, you know, the Lord hasn't come back yet, it's the day of salvation. We still live in the church age. And if you, you know, you want to make sure that you don't fall away, you want to make sure that you don't fall away like, you know, all this is. And so you want to come to that place where um, you're close to that shepherd in front slide. And so if you've kind of backslid over the past, you know, course of time, hey, this is the time to get our house in order. It's time to, to pray up, to fast, to get into the word of God. And when church opens, be there, get, get reconnect with the body of Christ when the when the church opens back up just take that as hey you know what this is my coming out party I'm gonna get back with the Lord and I'm gonna get things going again and I'm gonna you know fellowship with the church and hey you know what we're gonna worship the Lord we're gonna sing we have an amazing worship team here at our church we just gonna worship the Lord and we just may worship until the rapture happens who knows so we just gonna have a good time and um, if you want to come and worship the Lord with us we encourage you to come on out so let's go ahead and pray and then we're gonna we're gonna leave but again if if you listed questions or you have any questions about end times go ahead and pop them in there um, and you know I'll, I'll do my best to help you out in any which way I can Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for every person that tuned in to this broadcast. Father, we pray for your anointing to be upon it, to seal the word sown in our hearts, and that it yield a godly and fruitful harvest. Father, we ask your blessing over every person listening to any part of this broadcast. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you next time.